Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. Every so often, a prominent Christian ends up on national television in some sort of interview show. They're trying to promote a book, grow a following, but there's always some version of this same question asked those people. They always ask them, do you actually believe that everyone who doesn't believe in Jesus can't be saved? You really think all your friends, all your neighbors, all the, all the religions that have in some form not accepted Jesus, you really think all those people aren't saved? And these poor interviewees, no matter what they say, someone's going to be upset at them. If they just flat out say yes, well then, you know, probably most of the live studio audience is going to be annoyed with them. If they say no, they might lose their jobs because they work at churches. It's kind of this dilemma. No matter what they say, they're going to alienate some, some portion of the audience. So they try to find this third way. And they always, the, the ones I watched this week always start off like this. They always say, well, and they drag out the well, I think, to try to give themselves some time to figure out how am I going to phrase this? How do I say this? Well... And they say something like, well, I, I wouldn't say it that way. Um, I believe it's true for me, but who am I to judge? But the interviewers are, are professionals, and they know conflict makes for good television, so they don't let them off the hook with an easy answer. They say something like, well, doesn't Christianity claim that Jesus is the only way? Well... God judges the heart, right? Who, who am I to say? God judges the heart. But wait, what about religions that don't accept Jesus or even outright reject Jesus? Well, and it's really tough. And I get it. I get it. Some of you are like, you, you know, you're watching these and you're like, just say Jesus, just do it. But I understand the dilemma. If you had a friend or a neighbor that, and they came up to you and you're like, oh, I, I don't believe in Jesus. Do you think that I'm going to live for eternity without God? You'd be like, that's not where I want to start in this relationship with you. And this poor person being interviewed on live television doesn't want to alienate hundreds of thousands of people that they haven't even had a chance to get to know and develop a relationship with. So I understand the dilemma. I understand where they're coming from. I get it. I get it. One interview, this happened, and it was a big, famous preacher whose name, if I said, you will have all heard of this person, and he did so poorly in this interview, and again, I'm not saying I would have done better, but he did so poorly that his church had to put out a press release three days later saying he actually does believe in Jesus, because he was trying to thread the needle because it was so tough to figure out how do you articulate this reality that as Christians we do believe Jesus is the only way without trying to alienate everybody you're talking to. I actually believe in Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus made this claim, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
This is a true statement that Jesus made. Remember, we've spent the last few weeks saying, is it reasonable to believe in God? Well, yeah, it's reasonable. Is it reasonable to believe that the scriptures are reliable? It's reasonable. Is it reasonable to believe that the apostles and the authors of the gospels wrote something that was true? Yes, it's reasonable. But even if all that is the case, we still have to contend with the reality of what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our culture loves everything about Jesus except for this statement. Every political party wants Jesus to be on their side at the Grammys and the Oscars, and they all thank Jesus for the gifts and the talents, and they want to praise Jesus. But this is the statement that people have struggles with when it comes to Jesus, that Jesus is the only way. This is, and this is probably a struggle for people within Christianity as well to say, like, I don't know. I, I, I can think of a, an aunt and I can think of a cousin. I can think of a grandparent who did not claim Christianity, maybe even rejected Christianity. But they were such a good hearted human being that I, I don't feel comfortable saying that they're alienated from God. This is a tough one. There's an, there, there's an emotional objection to thinking this way, wondering this way. It, it feels personal. It strikes many people as unfair and unjust and wrong to say that there's these exclusive claims that Jesus is the only person through whom they can be drawn to God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to explore the objections and some responses, and we're just going to try to wrap our minds around what's going on here. Then we're going to tell a story about property damage and then we're going to be done, and you guys are going to go eat lunch somewhere. But I think this will be helpful. Here are the basic objections. It's articulated in ways like these. All paths lead to God. It's wrong to say that there's just one way. All roads lead to the mountaintop. My truth is different than your truth. Let me live my truth. Do what works for you. Don't push your views on me. God is love. He'll sort it all out. Stuff like that. You've heard that swirl of objections before, or maybe that's how you feel comfortable with your belief system, with, particularly with people who don't have a relationship with God whom you love. Now, all those objections can be summed up in two categories. So hang with me for just a couple minutes. This will be a clash, just, just for a second. Two categories. Uh, and you may hear your own objections in this. You may hear uh, loved ones' objections in this. All these can be summed up in two categories. First category is relativism. Now, the philosophical definition of relativism is probably not what you're thinking. We tend to think of this as an individual thing, what's relative to you, it's not relative to somebody else. But that's not the philosophical definition. The philosophical definition of relativism has to do with groups of people and cultures. So all paths lead up the mountain. There's different ways to God. There's truth in all religions. God is a big God. He can sort things out, and we don't have to get all hung up on who's in and who's out. We don't have to worry about that because all paths lead to the top of the mountain. Have you heard that before? I've certainly heard that before. That's subjectivism. And there are Christians who have these sorts of views. Well, Christianity, they'll say something like this. Christianity makes the most sense to me, but hey, to to each their own. And I can't just assume that everybody of some religion, some billions of people are just out because they don't believe the way I don't believe or they haven't had access to the truth that I've had access to. That's kind of the general objection. It sounds enlightened. It sounds generous. It sounds broad-minded, you know, and none of us want to seem narrow-minded and bigoted We want to feel good about how we present ourselves to the world. And so objections like these put Christians on the defensive. 
This is where you get the coexist bumper sticker. Have you seen that? Coexist, and you've got the different symbols for all the different religions that spell out coexist, right? And that's what people would say, like, look, look, they're just, you know, different countries, different religions. They all have their different path to God. We can just, can't we all just, let's just get along. Let's not just worry too much about the particulars and the details. The other major objection is subjectivism. And this is kind of individual, subjectivism. My truth versus your truth. We're all different people. We all have different experiences. This may be true for me, but I can understand that it's not true for you. Do what makes you happy. Live and let live. It's wrong to force your view on your neighbor. So this isn't so much about big, wide swaths of religion. It's about you just find your individual, personal way to God. And so, like I said, Christians get on the defensive about these. Now, we're going to move quickly, and uh, I think we're friends in the room, right? Oh, some of you said no. <laughs> oh, that really hurt my feelings. Okay, I'm going to have to work through that. But that's all right. We're gonna, I, I, I want to be direct with you. That's why I'm saying that. I want to be direct about what we're talking about. I love you, but these are not serious positions for people to hold. These are not serious positions for people to hold. This is why. First of all, it doesn't take religion seriously. It doesn't take religion seriously. And I don't just mean Christianity. It doesn't take religion seriously. When you say that all roads lead to the mountain, there's many similarities among different religions. That's absolutely true. Most major religions that you've heard of have some form of the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Most major religions have that. And so people looking broadly, they're like, oh, you know, there's kind of truth in all of them. All paths lead up the mountain. Similarities don't make things the same. Similarities don't make things the same. Have any of you had these knockoff Dr. Peppers? They're not the same. It's not the same just because there's similarities. The packaging looked the same. I don't even like Dr. Pepper, but I'm assuming that most of you would be like, Dr. Skipper, what's that? I'm not drinking that. <laughs> similarities don't make things the same. My mother is a twin. Her and her sister are very similar. They look very similar. But my dad can tell you from personal experience that you should not get them mixed up. You should not treat my aunt the way that you might treat my mother. You should ask him about that sometime. My dad isn't the most detail-oriented person, and he married a twin, so yeah, go figure. By the way, that coexist bumper sticker that you've seen, if you zoom in on it, the eye the dot of the eye on coexist is a pentagram representing Satanism. And the T is a cross. Those, those don't go together. You cannot blend those together. What, what, what relationship does light have with darkness? What relationship does Jesus have with Satan? Paul asks that question when people were struggling with, what, with how do they interact with God and can't we just do a little uh, idol worship over here? Isn't that okay? And, and Paul was saying, no, you, those two things don't coexist. That's not how it works. By the way, that's probably the only time you'll see a pentagram at church. I think that's probably, I was thinking about that this week. I was like, can I do that? I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll hear about it later. In 2006, an Episcopalian priest made headlines by taking this uh, relativistic point of view to its logical conclusion because she converted to Islam. 
Now, you would think like, well, if you convert to Islam, that means you have to leave Christianity. But no, 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 no. This is the logical conclusion of this position. She remained a Christian and a Muslim. So Friday night, she would go to the mosque, and then Sunday morning, she would preach at her church. Now, she didn't find any conflict with it, but the local imam was like, nah, that's not how this works. No, thank you. We're not interested in that. And then the Episcopalian church defrocked her because they're like, this is not how it works. We make competing claims about who Jesus is, and they don't both work together. You cannot have both. That phrase, all paths lead up the mountain, isn't even true for mountains. It's just not true. It sounds generous. It sounds open-minded, but it's not taking religion seriously. Now, let's talk about subjectivism just for a second, the kind of you do you, I'll do me sort of thing. This is a little bit of a side note, but the phrase, my truth, gets under my skin just a little bit. Have you ever heard people, I want to speak my truth, and I'm kind of like, what do you mean your truth? Like, it's all, it's truth. It's either truth or it's not truth, right? I don't, I don't understand how it's individual. And I think what they're saying is they're like, hey, I'm making claims that, that I don't want people to gaslight me and tell me that my personal experience isn't valid. I, I, I get that. But, but words have shared definition in an opposed to truth world. False claims on objective reality are becoming more and more bold. So my truth, I don't know. Whatever. Subjectivism is great if you're talking about the best pizza in town. If you like golden age musicals and you like to sing along in the shower, great. Knock yourself out. That's wonderful. You do you. Live the way you want to live. Pino's Pizza is the best pizza in Woodbury. Yeah. I'm glad I can get an amen about something. Dunn Brothers is the best coffee in Woodbury. Oh, we're starting to divide the room now. Okay. I see. I see how this works. Those are fine to make. You like off-brand Dr. Thunder? Great. You do you right? You live the way you want to live. Subjectivism is completely valid when you're talking about individual things like that. But subjectivism breaks down when you start to talk about things that matter. Not a single person in this room and not a single person who says you live your truth and I'll live my truth would allow that to stand once you start to talk about racism, once you start to talk about sexism, once you start to talk about any of the isms, you'd be like, that's not how that works. That's right. That's not how that works. Subjectivism doesn't work once you start talking about things that really matter. And it's not taking religious claims seriously if you're like, you just do your thing, I'll just do mine. That's not how it works. It's not serious. Secondly, it doesn't take Jesus seriously. It doesn't take Jesus seriously. This idea even exists within Christianity. Here's the logic. God is love. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. God is love. Uh, God is not willing that any should perish. Is that true? Yeah, that's, that's Bible, right? Jesus accepted the rejected. Is that true? Yeah, 100%. We don't decide who makes it or not, right? True, absolutely. But then here's the pivot. Therefore, people say, I cannot believe in a God that would not accept my grandpa or my friend or Muslims or atheists. I cannot believe in a God who would not just accept everybody. And there's a big 
crucial pivot there. Because everything that we said about Jesus is absolutely true. But all we can do is listen to the words of Scripture. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, no one comes to the Father but through me. Listen, some of you may be upset that I'm saying that, but I'm not saying that. Jesus is saying that. And if you want to take Jesus seriously, then you have to take what he said seriously. What if we're misunderstanding Jesus? What if that's not what he meant? Patrick, you think you know exactly everything that Jesus meant? Okay, that's fair. Fair objection. What if we're misunderstanding the exclusive claims of Jesus in that passage? That's, I suppose that's a possibility. But I'll tell you what. All of his followers thought that's what he was saying. Paul the Apostle in Romans 5.2 says, Through whom? Jesus. We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Hebrews 7.25, therefore he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God. How? Through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Or how about the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 4? Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Some of you are like, well, I don't like any of that. Well, that you're not taking Jesus seriously. And you can't have Jesus without taking what he said to heart. That's just not, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It sounds enlightened to shrug our shoulders and who am I to say? But in some ways, it's the worst position of all. Because at least people that reject Jesus and reject the claims of Jesus are taking what he said seriously. But it is a tough tension to hold together for people to live in churches to say, well, I love Jesus and Jesus works for me, but I'm not really going to take his words to heart. That's a tough tension. And some people try to sit there, but that's a tough place to be. That's a tough place to be. Number three, number three, it finally, it doesn't take sin seriously. It's a, it's a categorical error. I shared my opinion that Pino's Pizza is the best pizza in Woodbury. Dunn Brothers is the best coffee in Woodbury. The best overall theater experience in Woodbury is Woodbury 10. <laughs> there is no other place where you'll get faint smells of vomit throughout the theater. <laughs> and the floors are just a little sticky, but the tickets are cheap and the popcorn is plentiful. I love it. It's my favorite place to go. Now, that's fine. I can make those claims all day and you can disagree with them all day. Doesn't matter. But when we talked about our opinions and what we think and what matters, like, you know, we can still be friends, right? Even if we have different opinions about these ideas, we can still hopefully be friends, right? Because there's little that hangs in the balance. We can coexist if we have different opinions about what coffee is the best coffee in town. We can coexist. Listen, if Jesus is just a good thing, a good idea that makes your life better, whatever, live your truth. But that isn't what Jesus was claiming. He wasn't claiming to be just a good part of your life that makes your good life even better. Look at what he says, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He's saying that we are lost. And if we desire to be found, the only access to God is through Jesus. John 3.17, you know 3.16, 3.17 said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. 
Jesus isn't saying, I came to make your life a little better. Jesus is saying, I came to rescue you. The question is not, do you think people have to believe in Jesus? The question that we have to wrestle with is, do you think people are lost without Jesus? If you don't think they're lost without Jesus, well, then introducing them to Jesus isn't really going to do them any good because he's there to rescue them. And he can't do what he's there to do if you don't think that they're lost. And no wonder we don't introduce uh, Jesus to a lot of our friends. It is not narrow-minded to say that a sick person needs a doctor. It's not narrow-minded. It's not bigoted to say that a person who is drowning needs a lifeguard. In fact, it would be insane to try to stop emergency technicians from rescuing somebody by saying, let them live their truth. If their truth is bleeding out all over the floor, who am I to judge? No, they need to be rescued. And that's the claim Jesus is making, that he is here to seek and to save the lost. And if we don't think we need saving, well, then we don't need Jesus. And we certainly don't need to worry about whether or not he's the only way. So it is not true to say that there are many paths to God. It's not true to say that. However, it is true to say that there are many paths to Jesus. This is an important distinction. There are not many paths to God, but there are many paths to Jesus. This is valuable that we understand this because we could talk with every person in this room and we could hear different and unique stories about how they came to a relationship with Jesus, who introduced them to it, whether it was their family or a friend or a neighbor or somebody that was praying for them or a grandmother, or they were just driving by a church one day and they didn't know what they were doing, but they just pulled in or they were at the end of the rope and they said a feeble prayer and God began to reveal himself to them through Jesus. There's wonderful stories. Everybody has a wonderful story of how they learned about who Jesus was, a unique and individual story. In fact, there's a great one in the Gospels, and I want to wrap up with this because this is important to see. There's an incredible story in the Gospels that exemplifies everything that we're talking about this morning. An adult man is carried to Jesus by four of his friends. They're convinced that Jesus can heal this paralyzed friend. And so they pick up his mat and they bring him to Jesus. And you know the story, it's in Mark chapter 2, but it says that they couldn't get to Jesus inside the house. Remember what they did? They started pulling back the roof, right? And they made a hole enough in some poor guy's roof that it was big enough to lower a mat with a human body on it. Can you imagine being the homeowner and be like, we haven't even invented the, the concept of insurance. Who's going to pay for this? Who's fixing the hole in my roof? But there is the guy lowered on the mat, remember? And Jesus, it's kind of interesting because Jesus, it says that he's in there. I'm assuming he's in there teaching, and he's just teaching away. Imagine what that moment would have been like as you start to see dust falling from the ceiling, right? And you start to look up, and there, there goes one tile, and there goes another. Luke chapter 5 says they were tiles. And then you see somebody's face peeking down at you like... We're coming, and they move more tiles, more tiles, more tiles, and they lower this paralyzed man down to Jesus. And do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus looked at them. He saw their faith, the faith of the friends. Because the paralyzed guy, I don't know, maybe he wanted to be taken, maybe he didn't. He didn't seem to have a lot of say in the matter because he was going through the roof whether he wanted to or not. He had some interesting friends. Mark chapter 2, verse 4, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, look at this, look at what he says. This is amazing. He says to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. 
Now that's a surprise because they did not bring him to Jesus to have his sins forgiven. They brought him to Jesus to have his body healed. And Jesus instead heals his spirit and says, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't think we get the weirdness of this story. I heard a preacher talking about this this week, and I thought, man, that totally makes sense. But imagine that I were walking through a Target, and in Target, there's this husband and wife, and they're having an argument, some kind of conflict, and they're just, just arguing. And imagine I'm walking by, and I go up to them, and I'm like, hey, 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 it's okay. I forgive you. Well, who are you? Who do you think you are? What do you think you have to do with this? No, no, no. Shh. I forgive you for everything you've ever done and everything you ever will do. What? Who do you think you are? That's insane. My peace be upon you. And then I just walk away. Imagine if I did that. You would think I was crazy. That is an insane thing to do. And the people watching him knew it. Look at what they say to him. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there, and they're thinking to themselves, uh-oh, that <laughs> why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, why did they make that statement? Because they had read their Bibles. There's verses in Isaiah. There's verses in Psalms. There's verses in Micah that make that claim that God is the one who forgives sin. Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he, God, has removed our transgressions from us. Now check this out. This is important. Whatever the paralyzed man and the crowd were thinking, they're sitting there while the paralyzed man is laying there. Nobody in the room was thinking, what do you mean sin? How do you know this guy has any sin? How do you know he's made any mistakes? How do you know he's wronged God or others? What do you mean sin? Nobody's thinking that. Their problem is Jesus forgiving sins, but nobody is questioning whether or not the man has sins. Why? Because we know. We know. You know. I know. We know that there's something wrong with us. This is, the, this is the failure of self-help books. There's so many good self-help books out there, but the ultimate failure of them is they're saying that you're, you're decent, you just need to be better. But, but the truth is we're, we're broken and we need to be healed. That's the truth. We know the things we've done. We know the things we think. We know the things we've said. We know the people we've hurt. We know. Nobody's saying what sins. Nobody's asking that question. We know. We know. But Jesus does deal with their objection. Mark chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, okay. You think I don't have this power? Well, let me ask you this. Which is easier? Is it easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? Because if he says, your sins are forgiven, if he says that, who's going to know? How do you verify that? Who's going to know? I mean, I could make that claim all day long for you guys, and you're like, I, don't, I, I guess I don't know. But if he says, hey, pick up your mat and walk out of here, something better happen. You are setting the stage. You are creating some tension. There's some drama. Something better happened. Mark chapter 2, verse 10. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. 
And I don't, I imagine what this moment would have been like. I can't imagine. He, I mean, this guy hadn't used his limbs in how long? And can you imagine the, the, the moment in that room? I, I, I think Jesus has a flair for the dramatic. So I imagine there's a few seconds where nothing happens. And people are like, uh-oh, okay, this is not going well. This is going to be embarrassing for Jesus. And then the man starts to sit up. And maybe he br- brushes himself off. And, he's, and the people in the room are like, what? What in the world? Their minds are blown. Verse 12, he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Yeah, nobody has. But this is, I think this is interesting. I don't know what this guy's life was like after this point. But do you think that every step he took in his life was a reminder of the grace of God? Every time people saw him walking around town where they reminded Jesus has the power to forgive. Jesus has the power to forgive over and over and over again. Jesus is the solution to sin. If you're just a good person and there's nothing broken inside you, nothing that needs to be healed, nothing that needs to be changed, well then Jesus isn't the only way because you're not really looking for salvation. But if you're like most of us who realize that we're broken, we're messed up, our our brains think the wrong things and buy into lies and say the wrong things and hurt people and we just don't need to be slightly improved, we need to be created anew. If you're like that, then It's okay to say that Jesus is the only way to that healing. It's not exclusive to say, I have found healing and I want you to find it too. In fact, it's unloving to tell people like, ah, just whatever, live your truth. Just do your thing. I don't want to say anything too harsh for me, so just do your thing. No. Is Jesus the only way to God? Is Jesus the only way to God? Yes. But are there many paths to Jesus? Absolutely. Does Jesus accept all and draw all and bring all in? Absolutely. But he has said himself, he's our only access to God. All are invited. I know that some of what we talk about is challenging. Some of you may feel like, man, Patrick, some of the things you said uh, are offensive to me. And I I get it. I I just want you to know that I don't think it's what I'm saying. I think you're being offended by the word of God. And and if that's the case, it's okay. The Word of God sometimes is a stumbling block, but we can get back up and we can figure it out, and I would love to talk with you about that. So we're going to say a prayer, and we're going to say a prayer of thanks for what Jesus has done, hopefully in our lives, but what Jesus could do as well, and then we're going to be dismissed. Let's pray.